Good morning. This is Dr. Dan Guerra. I come to you from Authentic Biochemistry Studios in the Inland Pacific Northwest of the USA. Today is the eighth day of May 2021. Now, tomorrow is in America Mother's Day. All people have mothers, either living or deceased. I absolutely require that all my listeners pay homage to their mothers. If your mother is living, I recommend sending her whatever she likes best. Those kinds of things that mothers like include things like a bouquet of flowers, chocolates, a visit that's always really useful, or anything else that her heart desires. Mothers are obviously the backbone of a family. If your mother's deceased, I recommend going to the cemetery and paying respects in that way and praying for her. So with that uh, announcement behind us, I'm going to continue discussing toll-like receptors. So let's get right into this. <clears throat> Last time I told you that toll-like receptor 4 was a really significant member of the type 1 transmembrane protein family, which are now becoming an increasing number, probably somewhere around 10 or more toll-like receptor uh, species. Now, remember what these receptors do. They are uh, one of two types. The ones we're talking about type now are the signaling types. So once a toll-like receptor binds to its ligand, and that can be a pattern uh, which comes from a pathogen, or a molecular pattern, that is, or a pattern that's been generated after the digestion of polypeptides or of lipoproteins or just of lipids themselves, and, of course, carbohydrates that are associated with those proteins or lipids, covalently usually associated with those proteins or lipids. And then those act as an epitope uh, that bind to the toll-like receptor, and then the toll-like receptor transmits information to that cell, and then the signaling that ensues can often be one that triggers a pro-inflammatory response. Remember, this is the immune system we're talking about. So last time we left it with an oncotarget paper of 2016 talking about the TLR, and we're talking about different TLRs being uh, particularly associated with human lung uh, cancer, and also with uh, aspects of metastasis in the pulmonary system. And I told you all about the TLR4 being a bad player uh, in the role of enhancing metastasis. So let's continue on this discussion. A recent study suggested that TLR4 expression is suppressed by epigenetic events via the methylation of both cohering DNA and histones, which of course makes up the chromatin. Been recognized for quite a while that this might be a very important mechanism for modulating TLR4 expression. So recall from our previous discussions of the epigenetic modification of CPG islands in enhancer or promoter regions of genes is plays a very significant role in gene expression, uh, no less so in healthy cells than in cancer cells. In fact, the methylation of TLR4 promoter is associated with a TLR4 silencing in a variety of cells, including 
intestinal epithelial and stem cell derived vascular cells. So the question is, does this play any role, this epigenetic modification, in stem cell derived gastric cancers? So silencing by DNA methylation uh, typically uh, canonically occurs in epigenetics in two ways. One, you get de novo methylation and methylation mediated by transcription factor binding. And that second type of methylation carried out by methyltransferases, getting the methyl group from methionine and ultimately from folic acid metabolism uh, in that methylation-mediated transcription factor binding, it, gene expression is inhibited via repressor binding to the methylated CPG sites. So subsequent to methylation, methyl CPG binding domain, the MBDs, and these include, there's, there's multiple of these domains, MBD one through three, and also, we've mentioned before, the methyl CPG binding protein 3, or MECAP2, MECAP2, excuse me, not 3, are commonly recruited to CPG sites, and wherein they repress transcription by recruiting another protein called SYN3A, which interacts with histone deacetylases to form a co-repressor complex. So remember, if you deacetylate histones, you collapse chromatin making gene expression less likely because chromatin remodeling is hindered with this uh, heterochromatin complex formation. Now, transcription factor SP1 binds to the TLR4 promoter, and the SP1 binding to the promoter, uh, and any target gene for that matter, is going to be associated with the prevention of CPG methylation. So, therefore, it acts as a derepressor or Another parlance of that is acts as an activator of gene expression. And so the paper we've been talking about, this ACA target paper, was looking at methylation of cytosine and CPG islands with SP1 binding sites and was asking the question whether or not suppression of SP1 binding ability had an effect on the expression of TLR4. They wanted to know if differential DNA methylation of the TLR4 promoter in gastric cancer cell lines, ex normally expressing TLR4 at very high levels, that's what I talked to you about last time, could be a mechanism underlying TLR4 transcription with the TLR4 silenced cells showing an increase in the MCCP2 binding and therefore TLR4 upregulation enhancing SP1 to the TLR4 promoter, right? This would be the logical uh, question to ask. So I'm going to remind you now that TOLAC receptors are innate immune receptors specialized in the detection of conserved molecular patterns presented on pathogens, and these are also known as PAMPs, right? Pathogen-Associated Molecular Patterns. And self-derived molecules released upon tissue damage are DAMPs, or damage-associated molecular patterns. So you have host DAMPs, and you have uh, path, potential pathogen PAMPs. They can both be directed vectorially to specific targeted TLRs. Now, the TLR family 
which again is this rather large group of membrane spanning proteins. Of course, it is a glycoprotein because it's been translocated there via the ER Golgi apparatus. It's usually made up of 10 members in humans, as I mentioned a few minutes ago. TLR4 is the first one that was actually identified to sense a lipopolysaccharide, which of course is a major component of the outer membrane of gram-negative bacteria, and it exhibits a potent immunostimulatory activity. TLR4 also recognizes damage-associated molecular patterns released upon tissue injury. These are from the host now. And those include the high-mobility group, the HMGB1s, the heat shock protein, GHSPs, reactive oxygen intermediates, particularly hydroxyl anion, and even extracellular matrix breakdown products because of the metalloprotease activity. All of those connect as damps. So TLR4s recognizing the bacterial and fungal um, molecules after phagocytic uh, degeneration include the TLR1, 2, 4, 5, and 6. They're all expressed on the cell surface. And sensors of viral and nucleic acids tend to be um, localized within the endosomal compartments. I told you about the phagolysosome. Those TLRs, remember, are 3, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13. These are the human ones. And they are localized within endosomal compartments, as I said, where TLR4 can be translocated subsequent to expression. Now, that association of the TLRs with their ligands will then induce an intracellular transduction signaling cascade through an adapter protein called MID88, which is often um, noticed as being an oncogene in certain uh, genetic backgrounds of tumors, except that for TLR3, that signals actually through another protein called TRIF. Everything through MID88 except TLR3, which signals uniquely through TRIF. T-R-I-F, that is. Now, all of that culminates the induction of a pro-inflammatory um, uh, molecular uh, process in which NF-kappa-B activation or even antiviral molecules via the interferon regulating factor routes turn on a pro-inflammatory cascade. So any aberrant TLR4 activation would be, of course, associated with tissue damage. And if, if by aberrant we mean that there is no pathogen that induced it or tissue injury that induced it, but rather a malfunction of either the sensing or the reading of the signal to the TLR or the TLR having mutations or epimutations or indeed epigenetic changes in expression or translocation to endosomal compartments, for example, all of that can lead to a presentation that would look like chronic inflammation. And so chronic inflammation and autoimmune disease, as we noted several months now, are hallmarks of the aging human. So a significant amount of evidence seems to suggest that TLRs are directly linked to these diseases. And we've talked about them a great deal in the past. Now I'm giving you the sort of myopic 
view or we're sharpening the lens if we want to look at it that way, that diseases that are linked to TLRs that are also linked to aging are asthma, autoimmune, cancer, diabetes, intestinal disorders, cardiovascular disease, and then the really large one, neurodegeneration. Even sepsis, though, uh, in the elderly, is uh, and the, the explosion of sepsis upon uh, infection is linked to this TLR um, massive auto-stimulation and then pro-inflammation because of a bacterial infection. And the elderly, this can become deadly. So a paper published uh, Frontiers in Immunology in August of 2020, so less than a year ago, um, provided then this synopsis. Long-term evidence absolutely confirms an involvement of the inflammatory process and neurodegeneration. And of course, the neurodegenerative disorders we're most interested in are Parkinson's and Alzheimer's disease. And we can see this because non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs tend to suggest some protection for late onset Alzheimer's disease. That's correct. Now, additional to that, molecular players of the innate immune system have been suggested to contribute to those diseases, such as the toll-like receptors, as we've been describing. <clears throat> remember that they are all, these are PRRs, or pattern recognition receptors, and remember that toll-like receptors are part of the massive domain known as the innate immune response. And typically, they're supposed to be triggered because of PAMPs, right? Pathogen-associated molecular patterns or the DAMPs, damage-associated molecular patterns, right? Now, TLR4 mediates signaling that contributes to the pathogenesis of age-related neurodegenerative disease, particularly Alzheimer's. Now, we know that the pathophysiology of AD is myriad. We know it involves A-beta protein. We know it involves tau protein. We know it involves presenilin uh, pre proteins. We know that it's associated with proteinopathies in general, but also lipodystrophy, right, and lipotoxicity. So those are very broad pathobiochemical uh, structures. So when we say we know it causes AD, well, it's like what we say what, what causes uh, infection. Many, many, many things can cause infection. In fact, going one step beyond infection, what causes inflammation does not necessarily acquire from pathogens, right? And so the um, whole process of AD induction, Alzheimer's disease induction, is more linked to what causes inflammation than what causes infection, which means we have to think not only about those canonical features of the immune response, such as the innate immune firing of pro-inflammatory cytokines and chemokines, uh, triggering the mobility of T lymphocytes and then the activation of B lymphocytes and immunoglobulin production. But also we have to think about all the other roles that the immune system plays in the body, such as alterations in gene expression, alterations in membrane, lipid raft uh, concert, organized translocation, 
of receptor proteins to the surface and back into the endosomal compartment. All of that is also regulated by the immune response. In case you haven't been listening, that's what I've been trying to talk about. Um, threaded through all my lectures, both video and audio, for at least the last uh, year. Okay? So, that's why Alzheimer's disease is not a simple disease to cure because it's extremely complicated, pleiotropic, and full of plenum uh, sequelae that are difficult to trace back to origin, okay? Now, we know we have soluble aggregates of oligomers of the, of the A-beta protein, in which we've been talking a lot about. And indeed, those do play a role in the pathology of AD. There's no doubt about that. But they're not the only source of AD. Because remember that the A-beta protein even besides oligomerization and potentially acting as an antigen to trigger an immune response, also promotes calcium ion entry and mitochondrial calcium overload. And those two things, dear listeners and students and colleagues, you call, will all induce cell death, particularly in cells which are very sensitive to calcium flux, and those would be prominently neurons in the CNS. So the Tolak receptor 4 seems to be involved in AD, and yet the mechanisms are not just associated with a, a pathogen-linked uh, molecular sources. So what this group in this 2020 paper showed is that LPS, which of course is the TLR4 receptor agonist, it's a ligand to it, and it activates that TLR4, actually also increases cytosolic calcium concentration. Therefore, that directly triggers programmed cell death. In particular, PCD is classical canonical apoptosis through the mitochondrial pathway. Now, what's very interesting is that effect is only observed in long-term culture, long-term meaning aged, cultured, primary, terminally differentiated neurons. And so this may well be a good model, is what has been suggested in the literature now for at least a decade, for aging human neuronal systems. But in the short term, these cultured neurons uh, can also resemble younger neurons. That is before multiple levels of cell division. So the, all of the effects of the calcium release and apoptosis can be prevented, interestingly, by a pharmacological blockade of TLR4 receptor signaling. And it looks like TLR4 expression, at least in the rat hippocampal neuron, will increase significantly in aging neurons, which means you're already poised to deal with this pro-inflammatory response. TLR4 expression is kicked up regardless of any induction, just by aging, okay? So this is comparing the younger neurons, I mean, or even the neurons that were originally from terminally differentiated, but that are just carried through cell divisions. Yet, in the early states of cell divisions, when, of course, you know they're going to have much less of a senescence-associated secretory phenotype, you're not going to have as much of TLR4 expression. But then you get more aging of those neurons as they go through cell divisions in uh, vitro. They then can pick up more of the 
expressed pattern of an aged neuron. And one of those expressed patterns is high levels of TLR4 expression. So molecular patterns associated with infection and brain damage, such as ischemia, are linked to, yeah, TLR4 expression and calcium signaling. So early onset or even late onset, but yet diagnosed Alzheimer's disease could well be triggered by previous infections, previous inflammations with or without infection, and previous ischemia or other types of cell damage in the central nervous system. And all that can be exacerbated during neuronal aging. And this is well um, described as being linked to TLR4, or, or, or uh, yeah, the toll-like receptor 4 expression. Okay, so that's what that paper had explained to me. So now we're coming together and, and putting together this package of understanding of the innate immune response, the acquired immune response, and we're looking at the central nervous system in the aging human. And I'm giving you then a prodromal indication that even toll-like receptors, which are considered classical innate immune response systems for double-stranded RNA, the replicated form of viruses, double-stranded DNA, which can sometimes also be from viruses, as long as that nucleic acid is cytosolic and you're hitting the endosomal compartments where those TLRs are, or all the TLRs that are scattered across the surface of the plasma membrane uh, as membrane-spanning proteins that signal internally and can carry on alterations in gene expression using those card sequences and nod sequences we were talking about last time and the MBDs. All of that system we described, any triggering of that throughout the lifespan can alter epigenetic and therefore total chromatin remodeling mechanisms, therefore potentially leading to degenerating pathways even well before the aging system is fully on. That's one route of looking at, or one parallax. The other one, the one that I think is equally potent and significant, is that not only can um, ischemia or previous pathogen association, and not necessarily passing the blood-brain barrier, but just systemic because of the induction of pro-inflammatory cytokines and the opening of infl inflammasome beds throughout the body, which is a hallmark of obesity and chronic morbidity, even in much younger people, that all of that can be considered a potential prodromal, not just for neurodegenerative disease, but for actually being the means by which or the transcendental series of events which are involved in the aging process, which instantiate, I'll even say, the aging process, ultimately leading to multiple comorbidities one or more of which will lead to mortality of the human, okay? So this is where we're going. That's part of my theory about how the immune system sculpts and then is also, because of malfunctions, 
likewise responsible for uh, the aging of the central nervous system and the aging of the periphery as well, ultimately leading to those morbidities, uh, potential for uh, infections or hyperimmune responses, and then that ultimately leading to death. So let's go back and talk a little bit more about the basic immune system. Now we're gonna we're gonna come back out of what I was just talking about. There was a very deep set of understanding now. You know, all we did was look at a few toll-like receptors. I did not give you the complete explanation of how all of them function and crosstalk in different cell lineages through time. Right? Remember, everything here is an event, it's not a substance. So when I tell you about something on TLR4, remember in the early stages of cell division, even in terminally differentiated neurons. It's totally different in its downstream sequelae molecular pattern recognition phenomena for potentially trigger, triggering a, an apoptosis that will lead to a neurodegeneration, depending on how many times those cells divide it. Right? That was a key point of the last two or three lectures. So recall that innate immunity in the classical way of understanding it is non-specific. It's very rapid. It can occur within a minute and up to several hours. Uh, the receptors are typically gen are germline origin, which means you can have preconditions because of genetics or even alterations in genetics, such as epistasis, copy number variation. Remember that mechanism I talked to you about. And even that can be also prodromal for potential epigenetic phenomena because of the relationship of methyltransferases, acetyltransferases, and both demethylases and deacetylases, therefore altering gene expression in real space-time during the development of this process. Particularly, again, you can look at the CNS if you want to think of one major area of significance in aging. <laughs> the innate immunity, of course, also involves complement, which we haven't really spent any time on yet, but I will talk about it. We'll get into immunoglobulins and their role here. And, of course, inflammation, which we have talked a lot about, the inflammasome, uh, the whole idea of producing pro-inflammatory cytokines. And, and even prior to that, uh, through the afferent system, dealing with cyclooxygenase and lipoxygenase and P450 monooxygenase-mediated triggering of oxy fatty acids like glycosinoids, which give you the initial burst, which can then trigger gene expression, some of which is going to be transcription factors, which play, of course, that significant role in the production of pro-inflammatory factors, such as pro-inflammatory cytokines, chemokines, growth factors, etc. Okay. Now, on the adaptive arm of the immune response, it's usually considered specific and think immediately of those RAG proteins, those regions associated with recombination, re recombination associated genes, that's what RAG stands for. RAG1 and RAG2 coming together as heterotetramers and carrying out recombination. Remember in those specific canonical sites within DNA, that allow for rearrangements, the VDGA rearrangements that can lead to the multiple hundreds of millions of permutations for the TCR, that is the T cell receptor, as well as for the immunoglobulin series via the recombination mechanism. Right? 
uh, by not homologous and, and joining one of the major uh, canonical features of this. Remember, all of that is part of the adaptive immune response. Now, it's specific because of those recombination events, because once that recombination occurs, you have a huge constellation of potential molecular patterns, which are exemplified and are exposed on the surface of T lymphocytes and B lymphocytes, uh, respectively by the, the TCR, uh, T cell receptor and by IgM on the uh, more naive B cells, right? So those receptors then you can consider are generated almost pseudo-randomly. Now they're not completely random or stochastic because remember those recombinases have specific transposon-like events which are not completely random, right? There are hot spots for transposition. There are hot spots for recombination within the genome. You understand? But anyway, after that uh, generation of that recombination event, then you get clonal expansion. And then you get, of course, the so-called education of the T lymphocytes and the B lymphocytes to not recognize self. Those that recognize self are degenerated, right? They, they go through a pathway to allow for those cells to be destroyed. That's the whole uh, program death pathway, the CTL4 pathway that we talked about in T lymphocytes. So you have T cells, B cells, you have dendritic cells, which are kind of existing quasi between the innate and the acquired immune response. And of course, the adaptive response, adaptive or acquired also includes all the antibodies. These would be circulated immunoglobulins. And then there's the whole cellular immunity. Think about natural killer cells. Okay. Now, we're not even talking about barriers, which are also part of the immune response. But I've done that in the past. And we will go back to that. Now... I think I'm going to leave you here today because I'm going to go into 